Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Peter, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. It's, it feels like summer is in uh and it is quite full now and and real happy that it's here. We've had a glorious weather where we are in the in the Boston area. So it just it's just been perfect. Well, so I've, I've been to Boston. It's beautiful. I know that it, the, the weather has been gorgeous here. It's just hot, just hot, and nasty. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm jealous, but uh, I'm glad that your summer's going well. I know for this podcast, you actually brought a guest on today. Who'd you bring on? Leslie Jackson. Nice. And I'm real excited about uh, what we'll be talking about. She's a, uh, a nutritionist. And so I, I think this is right in line with, um, with wellness. You know, we've, yep. in, in, over the past uh, 85 podcasts, we've done uh, give or take some, you know, we've, we've really focused on wellness and there's lots of different aspects to wellness. There's certainly financial wellness, and we've certainly had those topics. Mm-hmm. There's emotional wellness. There's, uh, I think of, of being well from a spiritual perspective, mm-hmm. um, and then there's uh, physical wellness, and 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 that's where I think uh, some of the focus will be today on the physical wellness aspects of our world and our life, and and I'm real excited to hear what Leslie has to say. Yeah, me too. As long as there's no like, you know, you can't eat peppermint ice cream in this podcast, then then I'm going to be just fine. Well, we'll have to hear from Leslie. (laughs) All right. See what she has to say. Sounds good. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Oh, thanks. My pleasure. So you're you're a a nutritionist, and um, you, I I always like to start off these conversations with kind of understanding your journey. You know, why why nutrition and 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 diet, and what do you do, and and how do you work? Sure. And I'll, I'll just address the peppermint ice cream question right up front. I, I will never tell you that you can't have peppermint ice cream or ice cream for of any kind for that matter. Ooh. So you're safe. <laughs> all right. I like you. All right. Um, this is good. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, well, thanks so much, Peter. And I'm really excited to be here. I will say that my journey to where, what I'm doing now has been somewhat um, circuitous, I guess. I, you know, went to college undergrad and thought I wanted to be an art historian. And now I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. So it's, you know, I've gone on quite a path, but um, I'd say that I, you know, was always drawn to nutrition just from playing sports and, you know, doing athletic endeavors that required me to fuel my body for nutrition, uh, you know, for performance from the time I was in high school. I, originally went to grad school for nutrition, thinking that it would be really rewarding to work with people one-on-one and to help them kind of navigate the world of nutrition. I had, I had been working at a gym and, uh, you know, kind of in my after college haze of not really being a hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. And I was working in a gym with clients and most of their questions were around nutrition. And I realized I was woefully 
uh, un, unprepared and also, um, you know, untrained to answer their questions. And so that's what originally got me interested in nutrition and going back to graduate school for nutrition. What I found when I got to graduate school was that um, there were so many work possibilities for me and that I was interested in so many different aspects of what I could do um, when I originally got out of grad school. So, so when you're in grad school for nutrition, it's really very medical, medical focused, medically focused, I should say. So you're really working and focusing on medical nutrition therapy, which means caring for patients that have acute um, disease states. So what is the medical nutrition therapy for someone with diabetes? What is the medical nutrition therapy for someone with um, liver, kidney failure, et cetera? Um, so when I got out of grad school, my first job was in a hospital and I worked um, as part of the medical team working with people who were admitted who had really, you know, who were really very ill and being part of the care team to make sure that their treatment and their stay in the hospital went as smoothly as possible from a nutrition standpoint. And then um, it was really exciting. You know, it was a lot, it was very fast paced. I would be seeing lots of patients during the day and I learned a lot and was able to put all of the stuff that I had freshly learned in grad school into practice. And so that was wonderful. That is a very fast paced, demanding life. And so as I got a little older and my husband and I decided we were going to start a family, um, working in the hospital setting was really trying and hard. You had to work weekends, you would be working shifts. So it could be nighttime, it could be daytime. Um, so I decided to move more into private practice, um, which meant I was, you know, set up an office in, a, in the community and was seeing patients that needed treatment as they came through your door. And the majority of the patients I was seeing at that point were patients who had eating disorders. And so this was a new challenge for me because um, it would, were patient, those were patients that I didn't see as, as much in the hospital setting. So I had to do um, a lot of educating myself, a lot of um, work with peers who had more experience, just kind of honing my skills. There's a lot more counseling in working with those patients. And you're seeing them again and again and again, whereas in the hospital, I would see people two or three times or maybe longer if they were really ill and stayed in the hospital for a longer period of time. But in the community, I was really being able to forge relationships with patients who I was working with over and over again um, for months or even years at a time. So it just was an entirely different um, and very re rewarding aspect of working with patients. Um, and as I said, they were mostly patients with eating disorders. And that was very eye-opening for me because it really gave me a much greater awareness to certain aspects of our culture, of society, if you will, that I would argue is overly fixated on body size, dieting, being at a quote unquote healthy weight, this relentless messaging that we all get really from the time we're toddlers about what the perfect or ideal body is supposed to look like. And for certain people, that is really triggering and can cause them to go down this road where they're dieting all the time and just kind of in this relentless pursuit of the ideal, which is really something that none of us can ever achieve. And so from there, I started thinking more about what, what is the knowledge, what is the education that we could impart to younger people to prevent them from going down this eating disorder path? Like how 
what do they need to understand? What, what are the messages that they could receive that might counteract the messages that they're getting relentlessly in our culture so that they could become more savvy and also understand the reality, which is that um, there's a tremendous diversity in body shapes and sizes and always have been that, you know, we really, that your humans have very little ability to change their weight, their body weight in the long term. Um, and that dieting is really a futile effort. And particularly for young people who are experiencing physical changes through puberty and things, you know, and maybe feeling uncomfortable in their bodies, normalizing that, right? And not making them feel like something's gone wrong and that they then have to fix it, but that that kind of body's growth and development and kind of change is a normal process throughout life. So that's really brought me to where I am today, where I spend most of my time working in classrooms. And I do some kind of nutrition, more traditional nutrition education for um, young people in middle school and high school. And I also do a lot of I guess for lack of a better phrase, like body image, but awareness, um, social media kind of investigation and um, analysis to break down some of these messages that we're getting and, and help young people be aware of kind of the faulty messaging and give them kind of the correct and more scientifically anchored information that potentially will help them navigate all these crazy messages they're getting and potentially change things in the future so that generations from now on are not going to have to, you know, be so fixated on this diet culture that we know is just really harmful and also oh, a waste of time, frankly. Oh, so it's true. That was way too long, but no, that's, no, that, that's, that's, I think so fascinating because it's, you know, when we, when you really think about it, f- food is just, is just fuel. Right, it just helps us get um, move throughout the day, and and but but we, it's become so much more in our world. You know, it's and I think nutrition and diet are are really a means to an end. And to me, to me, it's about good health. Um, yeah. But it's it's so much more than that. You know, it's social. It's it's family. It's. Um, it's pleasure, <laughs> it's body yeah. image, it's society. It's, it's so much that's unpacked. But, but I think if we come down to, you know, the basics, it's, it's about good health. And, and that's a question I have for you is, you know, how, how should we define good health from the aspect of, of food and, 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 you know, this, this thing called, that we call fuel? Sure. Um, well, I think you started to touch on you know the many aspects, the many roles that food has in our lives, um, and that's so important to focus on. Um, I think to me, good health is really multifaceted, and it's so much more complicated, I think, than we're led to believe. Um, I think society would lead us to believe that quote unquote good health is eating well and exercising and achieving or maintaining a healthy weight. And if we can do those things, like we've achieved good, good health, gold star for all of us, et cetera. Um, but the reality is that good health is, is so much more than that. Um, of course, wellness includes the foods we eat and how often we move our bodies. But we do know from countless research studies that weight-centered health, so 
health paradigms that center body weight as kind of the be all end all of wellness are completely bogus. Um, so we know from countless research studies that bodies can be healthy and many sizes. And most often bodies that are slightly larger actually have the best health outcomes. So this idea that thin automatically makes you healthy is, is completely false. And in the same vein, fat, fatness or being fat is not necessarily making you unhealthy. So when I say bodies can be healthy at many sizes, that's totally true. It doesn't mean that bodies are healthy at every size, but it does mean that that weight is not kind of the the divining rod. Weight, what weight you're at does not automate, automatically make you healthy or unhealthy. For, it's interesting. They did a research study um, out of Harvard, and it revealed that the two biggest predictors of longevity in people are social integration and friendships and personal relationships. So really what that's telling us is the people who lived the longest in this study of thousands of people were those who felt part of their community and those that had people in their lives that they could count on for love and support. So it didn't matter if they were thin or fat. It didn't matter if they ate all their veggies or not, or if you know how much they exercised, how many hours in the gym they spent. Um, really, what it came down to was whether or not people felt connected. And so um, this idea that our weight determines our health is is just really something that I think slows us down and distracts us when there are so many other aspects that we need to be focusing on. So when thinking about good health, I think we really, you know, diet and exercise are important, but we need to go beyond that. So we need to be thinking about, as you mentioned, you know, mental health, physical wellness, which could include nutrition and movement, but also sleep, um, clearly access to healthcare, safe spaces to live, clean air to breathe and water to drink, um, friendships, support systems, access to education, access to, um, to jobs. And those are just to name a few um, that are really important factors. Many of these things are probably readily available to your listeners. Um, but it's we do know that we have huge health disparities in our, in our communities and across the country. And communities of color and poor communities oftentimes have less access to some of these things. So health is truly um, much broader and wellness is is more complicated than I think we're all led to believe. Yeah, it's it, it's so interesting to me. And the, the other thing I just and I said this earlier, you know, um, uh, uh, just sharing food and being being part of. Um, breaking bread is such an important part of you, the human existence, I think, and it helps with relationships. So those people that are living longer may actually be eating very well, but they they may they may be sharing meals with with those family members and friends and staying engaged with people. And food helps us do Absolutely. that. It's just one of the tools. Absolutely, yeah, I, I agree yeah. wholeheartedly. You know, I, I always think I, that I'd rather be alive today than any other time in human history, although we got our challenges. Um, right. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. But I think today we've got more advantages than than any time that we've the humans have been around. Um, you know, there's current and, and, and these future discoveries are going to only make it better, I think. You know, our, our, we, we've got these challenges, but what do you see are the biggest obstacles from a health and well, wellness 
wellness perspective that we should be thinking about? So, I mean, I think at the risk of sounding like I'm, you know, saying the same thing, but I, I think that one of the biggest obstacles from, from where I sit, okay, so from the, the groups of people that I work with and, and the students that I work with is this fixation on weight-centered health. The medical system, I think, really has a preoccupation with telling people to lose weight. You know, we we use the BMI charts. Every time you go to the doctor, they they measure, you know, they weigh you and then they track your weight and height on a chart and they tell you, you know, if you're in a healthy range or not. And, you know, we know that BMI is is a faulty um, is a faulty system. It's it should not be used the way it's being used. It was never intended for that. And so we're so fixated on putting people into classifications based on their weight. And I and I think this is really kind of one of the biggest issues because it's as I said before, it's it's um it's a distraction. It makes there's so much stigma around body sizes and and you know how much people weigh. And I and I think it's a distraction. And I think it really it's not helpful because we know that it's not it's not a good indication of how healthy somebody is. So, I mean, we the other piece of that is that it fuels this industry that's focused on dieting, um, you know, selling you shakes and selling you uh, supplements, and you know, we know that ninety eight percent of diets fail, and that people may lose weight initially, but you know, ninety eight percent of people will gain all that weight back within one to two years, um, not be able to maintain that weight loss, and then feel like a huge failure, and then get back on the diet train again. Um, it's a, it's a, the diet industry is a billion dollar industry and, and people are kind of kept on this perpetual like hamster wheel of like, okay, I got to get to a weight and I'm going to do all these things to get there. And then I did it and now I've failed and now I have to do it again. I just feel like it's takes so much energy and our young people are being kind of sucked into that mechanism really at young ages. And it can be so, um, it can be so damaging to them. So the time and the effort and the mental distress and the focusing that it takes away is wasted energy that I think could be direct, redirected in so many other ways. So I think that these the way that we're taught from a young age that thin is good and fat is bad, it's on TV, it's in shows that children watch, it's in man, on mannequins at the mall, uh, discussed on the news, glamorized on social media, you name it, it's everywhere. And we know that for young people, it is a serious issue for their mental health. Um, and that, you know, when when young people get involved in dieting, we know there have been documented studies where children as young as 10 are starting to go on diets. Um, and they're either diets that they themselves put them, put them, you know, start themselves or that their parents um, initiate for them. And um, those that dieting, particularly at a young age, is the number one risk factor for developing an eating, eating disorder. Um, so I think that the problem is that despite what we've been led to believe, humans have very little ability to effectively change their body weight in the long term. So it's futile. And yet we're constantly bombarded with it, um, with the next or the newest diet. And it's big business. Um, so I think if from where I sit, that's the biggest problem I see. Um, and if we could get rid of that, people would be able to pursue um, wellness from a place that actually made a difference as opposed to focusing on weight, which we know has very little uh, to do with how healthy you are. So, so what can parents with, with young kids focus on um, when it comes to you know, these, these health and nutrition issues? And, and then 
how do we educate parents and then and then kids about being healthy from an eating and, and a lifestyle perspective? What can we do? Yeah, so that's the million dollar question, and I just want to say that it is so hard to be a parent. I'm a parent, um, so I just want to acknowledge that every parent, every caregiver out there is doing their best. Um, Many of us carry our own insecurities and um, biases about body weight or body image, the stuff that we were raised to believe, um, the stuff maybe that our parents even dealt with when they were growing up. So there's there's a lot out there. Uh, And it's it's really, really hard um, to let those things go when we're raising our own kids. The number one priority um, for me and the people that I work with and the, the kids I work with is to raise children who feel good in their own bodies and also who have a healthy relationship with food. So how do we do that? Um, I think there are lots of good resources out there, and I'd be happy to provide you with kind of more specific lists um, offline and you know share you could share those with your listeners as, as you feel. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. um, But I think more generally, um, and these are in no particular order, but um, the things I think about are, you know, when you're feeding children that you're, you're aiming to be very non-judgmental about food. So avoiding the urge to label foods good and bad or healthy and unhealthy or junk and healthy um, because that is black and white thinking. And it also sets kids up to to kind of feel badly if they're eating something that's supposedly bad for them. Um, the other thing is providing access to all foods. So, you know, and this can be tricky, right? Because we we might think, okay, well, we can only give our kids access to the healthiest stuff. Well, sure, you want your kids to have access to healthy foods, but but you don't want to villainize that package of Oreos or you know the carton of ice cream in your freezer. Like all foods are there. And getting back to something you said earlier, Peter, like foods food serve different roles, right? So some food may be there because it's food that helps our bodies grow, um, but there are also foods that are just delicious and bring us pleasure or might be part of celebrations. Um, like, like peppermint or, ice cream. But like peppermint ice cream, right? There's nothing wrong with peppermint ice cream. Um, so another thing that's really important is to uh, resist the urge to comment on your body, um, on anyone's body, on your child's body, um, particularly negatively, but just generally avoiding kind of body comments uh, is is really a great way to go. Um, don't talk about needing to lose weight or that you, you know, feel like you packed on a few pounds over the winter or whatever it might be. Don't weigh yourself in front of your children or express feelings of body dislike. It doesn't mean you can't have them because we're all human, right? We go through phases where we're happier or unhappier with our bodies. Like that's that's a journey that we're all on. Um, it just means keep it to yourself and do not pass that stuff onto your kids if you can avoid it. You know, we don't want them to overhear things like that because then they, you know, if if dad's saying that he's unha- unhappy with the way his belly is looking, then kids are looking at their own bellies and wondering should they be unhappy with the way their belly looks. So, so try to keep that stuff um, away from kids. Um, avoid commenting on how much people are eating, whether it's a lot or a little. You know, kids are really great at regulating how much food they need. Um, They eat when they're hungry. They stop when they're full. They 
just are very intuitive eaters, which is kind of the gold standard, right? So there may be days where your child is starving and eats everything in front of them um, and they're growing, right? So they have tremendous calorie needs at times. And then there are other times where they're not that hungry and they don't eat as much. Just you can observe about, you can you can say, well, gosh, you've been doing a lot of activity. You must be, it seems like you're really hungry today, right? Like you don't have to like be mute at at the dinner table or at the counter or in the car or wherever you're eating, but avoid any sort of judgmental comments about what they're eating and how much. And, you know, related to that is honoring child's autonomy when it comes to food. So if they say they're full, they can be full. Um, Many of us grew up with the clean plate club, you know, like, okay, well, you aren't finished with your dinner until you finish every single bite on your plate. Well, that's a really hard uh, message to get if you're also trying to instill in, in children that they should listen to the way, the way their body feels, right? Um, because if a child is saying to you, hey, I'm not that hungry. I don't want to eat anymore. And you're saying, well, just eat five more bites. You're basically telling them like, okay, ignore how your body's feeling and just cram more food into you. So so that's if you can avoid doing that. And that's a hard one to break. And that's a hard one to break with grandparents and with um, other people in your life as well. But to, to let kids stop when they're full and to eat when they're hungry is huge. Encourage movement for play and for fun, but not for exercise. Um, and this is important for all kids. So oftentimes I... I talk to parents who are who have a child that they feel is overweight and they're worried about that child, right? Um, and they might do things differently for that child than they would do, say, for the child's siblings who might not be overweight in in their estimation. Um, so that kind of singling out a child for what their body looks like and doing things differently for that child. So making that child exercise or making sure that child doesn't get dessert, but the other kids can have dessert. Those kinds of things are really damaging um, and should should be changed. Um, and you know what? There are lots of specialists. There are lots of people out there that can help you with this. So if you're navigating things that are really tricky and you're not sure how to proceed, get help. Talk to your pediatrician. Talk to um, seek out a registered dietitian, someone who knows how to navigate these tricky situations because you don't have to go them alone. Um, and there's lots of help out there. And th- the last thing I'd say is um, there's something called the division of responsibility, um, which is a concept that was developed by a pediatric registered dietitian nutritionist named Ellen Satter. And I think that it's one of the tenets that I've always stuck to throughout my life as a parent. And I think about a lot, even just with the work that I do now with kids and families. But the idea is that the parent or child um, caregiver's responsibility, parent or caregiver's responsibility is to provide the food and the place in which it's consumed. Um, And the child's responsibility is to decide what to eat and how much. And so if you can think about those divisions of responsibility and try to stick to them as much as possible. Um, you're not going to be perfect. Uh, and But if it can be kind of your guiding thought, then I think that that sets you up for a place where you're respecting and following some of the, the ideas that I mentioned um, earlier. You know, it just is so... <laughs> 
this, these, these things are passed on from generation to generation, I, I think. And, um, man, I'm, I'm hopeful my kids will forgive me <laughs> for, for a lot of the things that you talked about. Um, but that's, that's how I grew up. I think a lot of, of us uh, face that challenge. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Lizzie, are there, are there, and I, I, I know you'll hate this question, but are there eating and nutrition rules of thumb that we should, that you recommend should, that we should consider? So I would say, yeah, I mean, I can give you, I'd say, you know, eating regularly is a great one. Um, you know, making sure you, you talked a little bit before about, you know, if nutrition it can be seen as fuel for our bodies. And that's certainly true. So, you know, eating regularly, um, eating regular meals and snacks, not going too long without eating is always important. And, and in these hot days of summer and uh, goes for, you know, drinking water and, and other hydrating fluids as well. Um, trying to incorporate lots of different colors and variety into the foods you're eating is easier during certain seasons than others. But I think, um, you know, if you, we know that different color foods have different nutrient profiles. So if you're eating lots of different colors, you're, maximizing your exposure to lots of different nutrients. So that's always a good rule of thumb. Um, moving your body in ways that you enjoy. So if you hate trucking it out on the treadmill, don't do it. Like Find something that you like to do because movement is important, right? It's great for our physical health, for our mental health, for um, you know, for sleep, so many things. Um, so find something that you enjoy and and do it as often as you can um, in ways that feels man feel manageable. And if you can only get in five or 10 minutes at a time, that's great too. It's great for stress relief and just taking a break from your screen or work or whatever you're doing. I, I think if you, it's hard, right, for people um, my age, older, to 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 embrace this idea that no foods are bad. But I, I really encourage people to honor your your cravings you know if you're really craving something it means you should have it and it means that you're spending way too much time thinking about it so if you just eat it it's it's better than like spending all this time thinking about it <laughs> um but those those are generally i guess my top my top my top ideas in terms of rules of thumb yeah i, I think um i i what i've learned over the years is just the rule of thumb for me is is certainly moderate how much I eat, just because I don't need as much as I tend to tend to want to eat, but also just reduce less processed foods. You know that that's that's what those are the things that I focus on. Does does that make sense? Sure. If that make and I would say if that makes sense for you, that's great. I would say that um, processed foods serve roles for for other people. Um, I think the number one thing is to to feed yourself. So if you're someone who is working crazy hours and has young, smaller people to feed, sometimes processed foods are going to do it for you and it's going to make life easier and it's going to get your kids the, the, the calories they need. Um, I think it's all about balance. Um, and I think it's, you know, knowing where you're at and being able to work with what you have, right? So I don't mean to sound like I'm talking in circles, but generally, yes, the, the you know eating fruits and vegetables is great. Um, frozen foods, uh, frozen fruits and vegetables are probably more processed, but are 
packed with nutrition and are really easy for a lot of people and don't go bad as fast. So um, processed, I, I tend to stay away from that term just because most every food is processed, but I totally get where you're where you're going with that. And I think that if you have exposure and the, uh, to lots of fresh stuff and you have time for it, amazing. And if you don't, don't beat yourself up about that. Do the best you can with what you have. And the number one goal is just to feed yourself, right? Yeah. So then you move on from there. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love the term, uh, you know, a, a balance. Life, life is a balance. For um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, There's so many diet fads out there. Uh, whether it's low carb or intermittent fasting or being a vegetarian or no dairy or gluten-free, are, are any of these fads something we should embrace or avoid or, or, or just accept f- for what they are? So I, I generally say any, any diet that its purpose is to help you lose weight is garbage. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I, I, any, any diet fad, um, you know, whether it's intermittent fasting to lose weight or, you know, going gluten-free to lose weight is, I, I just, I think it's a waste of time, honestly. Um, you know, having some, incorporating some vegetarian, uh, meals into your life is, is, fine. And I don't look at that as much as like a, a, if you're, if you're not doing it to lose weight, I'm totally good with it because there's a lot of environmental reasons to eat more, um, meat-free meals. Um, and it's, it's, you know, vegetarian and vegan food can be delish. So I'm, I'm all for that. Um, I think there are people who need to eat gluten-free because they have, um, celiac disease or gluten intolerance, that is legit. Um, and if you're thinking that you're having a problem with malabsorption or something like that, then I would recommend that you you know meet with a dietitian, um, see a gastroenterologist to make sure that you're doing it right and that you're doing it for the right reasons. But anything that you're doing to for weight loss, I would say don't waste your time. You know, you want to try to to eat well and to take care of your body, but um, any of these things that you're doing for weight loss, I just think are, they're just, a lot of them are scams. Yeah. Most of them are scams because they're not going to work in the long term. So I, I, it's, it sounds so reasonable, you know, um, to avoid these, these kind of uh, fads, but they're out there and we just, we want to improve. We want to do better. And we just, we grab onto things, you know, of because course. It, yeah. it sounds good. Um Totally, you know, totally, yeah. yeah. You know, I, um, I, I think about a lot of in our society, especially. Um, you know, so much of of healthy lifestyle and living is, is available to to those of us that are privileged. You know, in our world, uh, you know, we get to live this low stress life. We we have the opportunity to get lots of sleep. We we can we can belong to gyms and we have exercise equipment. We have time for those things. We can prepare balanced and healthy meals and we can afford fresh fruits and they're available to us and all that. What what are families and individuals that that may have challenges in in some or all these areas do? What what, what do you recommend? Yeah, it, it's these are very real concerns. Um I would say first try not to stress um, and do what you can. So acknowledging where you're starting is the first step. You know, um, I mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, but 
you know, if for you just getting meals on the table um, or feeding people on a regular schedule is hard, start there and find easy solutions. So a peanut butter and jelly on whole grain bread and a glass of milk is a perfectly fine meal and also very inexpensive. You know, if you feel you aren't getting enough fruits and vegetables, but you don't have access to tons of fresh stuff or farmer's markets or what have you, try frozen fruits and veggies. Um, They're half the price of fresh, sometimes even less than half the price. Um, They last a whole lot longer. You don't have to worry about stuff rotting before you get to it. Um, And they're a very easy and um, inexpensive way to get more fruits and vegetables into your life. Um, If finding time for movement is hard, break it down. So getting five to 10 minutes of walking does wonders for blood pressure, for um, blood sugar levels, will help relieve stress and give you a break. So just figure out where you are, what you, what your priority is and, um, you know, starting there and then figuring out what might work for you is, is the best way to go. Um, I always tell clients, you know, pick one thing to start with. Um, don't try to change everything at the same time because you're kind of setting yourself up for, um, for, for a hard road. Um, it's easier to, to, to make some small changes and then build on those as opposed to trying to overhaul everything all at one time. So, but again, there, there are people that can help you. There's, there are great online resources. There are great um, people that you can see a lot of um, dietitians now are still seeing people via telehealth. So you could see somebody, uh, you know, via zoom um, or speak to someone on the phone. And uh, so a lot of this care is, is accessible now and is covered by insurance and, if people are struggling, that could be an additional way to to go to think about getting some support. Yeah, Leslie, I, I'm just struck by th- this conversation that we're having, and if in the advice that you're giving is so similar to to conversations that I have with my clients about financial wellness. I, I think there's a lot of a lot of similarities. You know, uh, you know, w- w- wellness, whether it's financial or health, uh, doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes a plan. It, it, it works when you think about your goals and, and, and you take the necessary steps that, to be successful. Um, it, I think it's important to know the basics and, 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 and helpful to have a coach or a guide or someone like, like you or me on the financial side. And then the other thing I think, and you said this, maybe not exactly the same way, but just avoid beating yourself up uh, on less than the optimal past decisions we've made, you know, whether it's the, the extra serving or the, the fried food, you know, be kind to yourself, right? <laughs> it's just definitely. Yeah. And then, and then I think this is so important. Um, enjoy yourself once in a while, you know, ha- have, have that dessert and go on vacation, <laughs> you know, spend, spend your money, your capital, uh, enjoy Enjoy that meal that is special. Enjoy it with friends and family. So I agree. I, I, I think there's, a, there's just a lot of tie-in, and, and I'm struck by um, how our conversations are so similar. Uh, Leslie, can, can our listeners reach out to you directly if they have any questions? And if so, how, how do they contact you? Sure. So um, I can, you know, give you my email, Peter, and people are welcome to email me if they have questions. Um, that's that's really the best way to reach out to me right now. Do you want to um, do you want to give that now? Sure, sure, sure. It's Jackson, J A C K S O N, 
dot Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E at gmail.com. Great. Well, and if certainly if any of our listeners um, want to reach out to me um, and I, I can refer them to, to Leslie directly. So Leslie, I, I, I thank you so much for, for this conversation. It's, it's, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, wellness is an important part of what we do, um, financial, emotional, spiritual, and just healthy. You know, we want to be healthy. And uh, I think what you do is so important. And I, I, I thank you for, for participating and, and being involved. And, and, and it was a great conversation. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Our pleasure. Peter and Leslie, this has been fantastic. Uh, Peter, I know that I'm hoping that people reach out to Leslie and and just have a conversation, right? I mean, because obviously what I'm hearing is that there's no judgment, right? It's just a discussion. It's just something that, hey, let's talk about it. Talk about where you're at, where you want to go. And and let's see what fits your lifestyle without falling into these fads and all the latest gimmicks and the things that you're seeing on social media or media. Um, and again, that's the parallel that I drew from this conversation, Peter, with you, because People, you know, they're getting inundated with fads and and crypto this and, you know, buy this next (laughs) big investment. This is going to hit, you know, a million dollars for you in the next week. I mean, just it's you don't want people getting suckered into that kind of stuff. So, uh, like I said, I'm hoping people reach out to Leslie, but I also want people to reach out to you to get a, a wellness check on their finances to see where they're at. Because, again, there's no judgment. It's just a discussion. Where do you want to go? What do you think you're going to need to do to get there? And let's talk about that. So if people want to have that discussion with you, Peter, can you give them your contact information one more time? Yeah, probably the best thing to do is to go to my website at uh, raskinplanning.com and re- reach out to us via, via our, our, our contact information there. And, and then also, I just want to say, um, Leslie, if you could send me a list of, of resources, that would be fantastic. And then I can post that on, on the website as well for, for people to, to, to see. Absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Oh, thank you. Well, this has been wonderful. And Leslie, I do appreciate you, you know, giving me the thumbs up on the peppermint ice cream because uh, the way I feel about it is look, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. It makes me feel good and it freshens my breath. I mean, that's all there is to it. If you, you it's pepper- a win-win. Yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's all winning, right? It's all winning. Just portion control. That's what I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show, Peter. Of course, thank you so much for facilitating this and bringing her on the show. And our last thank you is always reserved for you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the wealth is in the details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this does actually help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corp., a broker-dealer, member SIPC. 
Investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.